Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, that can be found on page 942 if you're using the Black Bibles. On this Resurrection Sunday, I wanted to take a break from our series through the Gospel of Matthew to turn our attention this morning to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Obviously, we're jumping, you know, kind of right in the middle of this, of this letter to the church at Rome there, but at this point in his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul has been explaining the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that through faith in Christ... We are saved from the eternal punishment that we deserve, and we are made right with God. He's been uh, proclaiming and rejoicing in the truth that through Christ, our, our sins are forgiven, and we're credited with His perfect righteousness. And He's been explaining that this amazing salvation is given to us freely as a gift of God's grace. That no matter how great your sin God's grace is greater to forgive and to save through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That's that's what he's been talking about now as we get to chapter 6. And and Paul knew that proclaiming this gospel of grace would raise some objections. Uh, Most notably, those who would say, Well, Paul, your, your emphasis on God's grace just encourages people to sin. People will think that it doesn't matter how I live because I can just be forgiven. And, and so Paul, knowing that, that those objections would be, would be raised, he addresses that here in chapter 6 by showing that when God saves a person through Christ, they become a new creation. That their relationship to sin and God is drastically changed. That they now have the resources and the desire to say no to sin and to live for God. And so let's read our text this morning, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and I'd ask the congregation to please stand in honor of God's word. Please follow along as I read verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized there, sorry, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Well, Easter is a joyful day as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We are filled with joy because of what his resurrection means for all of us who by faith have embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. As we've already sung, because Christ has been raised, we know that we are forgiven. Jesus has paid for our sins and reconciled us to God. And God the Father has accepted that payment. And the the proof of that is the resurrection. Because Christ has been raised, we know that one day we who are in Christ will be raised from the dead. One day we will have glorified bodies, free from sin and fit for Christ's eternal kingdom. And so again, that's the good news of of Resurrection Sunday. That's the good news of the gospel that we celebrate today. And this morning I want us to focus on another wonderful result of Christ's resurrection. Because Christ has been raised, we who are in Christ have been given new life now. Not only will we be raised in the future, but we have already been raised and given new life now in Christ. Look at verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What a phrase. Walk in newness of life. That means live a new life right now. The Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, says that Christians have new life and, and are to live out this new life. Right now. Well, what is this new life? How, how did we come to have new life exactly? And how can we live out this new life? These are all questions that I hope to answer today in the sermon. I've organized our time around two headings. If you're taking notes this morning, you'll see those in, in your bulletin. I'll just go ahead and give you the two headings now. Number one, understand the new life you have in Christ. Understand the new life you have in Christ. That's what we want to consider first, and and really that'll probably be two-thirds of our time. And then secondly, live the new life you have in Christ. Live the new life you have in Christ. All right, so let's begin with understand the new life you have in Christ. Christians have new life through our union with Jesus Christ. Through our union with Jesus Christ. The Bible often speaks of Christians being in Christ. Or as we see here in Romans 6, united with Christ. So what does that mean? How does, how does that result in new life? Well, first let's back up and, and understand who we are before Christ. Who we are apart from Christ. 
Ephesians 2 explains that by nature we are dead in our sins, that we have no spiritual life, that we are separated from God because of our sin, and that we are, in fact, enslaved to sin, blindly following the course of this sinful world. That's how we all are apart from Christ. Some of us may may hide it a little better than others. Some of us may be a little more, dress up and be a little more respectable than others, but we're all dead in our sins, separated from God and enslaved to sin, apart from Christ. But Ephesians 2 goes on to explain in other passages, like Titus 3 says, but God in his great mercy chooses to save us, how? By giving us spiritual life. His Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts giving us faith to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then, as that's happening, the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ through faith. So that's what we're talking about, our union with Christ. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united with Christ. We're brought into union with Christ. So now, Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit, and we are in Christ. Again, Christ lives in us as, as his, his Spirit indwells us. His life is, is to be increasingly lived through us. And we are in Christ positionally so that the blessings that belong to Christ amazingly are shared with us. So being united to Christ through faith. And here's where we get especially to Romans 6 this morning. Being united to Christ through faith means that what happened to Christ has also happened to us already, spiritually, as we're united to him. Romans 6 says we are united in Christ's death and resurrection. Look again with me at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, there's that union with Christ, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you see, Romans 6 describes our being united with Christ and and. It uses the language of being baptized into Christ. Because when God saves us, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit unites us to Christ. And then, of course, when a person is, goes through water baptism, that's just symbolizing what's already taken place in their life. And especially, the, you know, uh, through immersion, you see the symbolism of being uh, buried with Christ and then raised with Christ to, to live a new life. But again, what I want to highlight is that being united with Christ means that what happened to Christ happens to us. Christ's death and resurrection becomes our death and resurrection. So, believer, when God saved you, a spiritual death and resurrection took place in your life. It's already happened. That's what verse 5 describes. Again, you look at it, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I know it uses the word shall, but it's it's just the way that conditional statement is. It 
It may sound like it's talking about our future resurrection, and that is true. That is a result that one day we will be raised with Christ. But it's clear, I think, from the context, he's talking already about our spiritual resurrection. That has happened if we've been united with Christ, or you could say since we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be, we have been united with him in a resurrection like his. That's what verse 5 is describing. You say, what do you mean a spiritual death and resurrection? Right? Well, again, by nature, apart from Christ, we are all born enslaved to sin. John 8, 33, Titus 3, 3 says that. So before God saves us through Christ, sin rules over us. We are continually giving in to sin's temptations and choosing to rebel against God's rightful rule over our lives. And that's true of of every unbeliever. But when God saves you, your old self that lived in rebellion to God, that lived as a slave to sin, that old self died with Christ and was buried with Christ. And now just as Christ rose from the dead, you spiritually were raised with Christ. You became a new person, no longer alienated from God, no longer a slave to sin. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Hallelujah. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So that's why in your notes I have listed as Christians, we are united in Christ's death and resurrection. And there in your outline, I've summarized what that means for you as a believer. And I'll just give you those points now, those two bullet points. It means I'm dead to sin. Or another way of saying that is I'm no longer a slave to sin. And then secondly, it means I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And I'm set apart to God. Later in verse 11, we'll see, he said, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. No longer alienated from God. We are sanctified. It means we're set apart. We're, we're, we're set apart for his purposes, for his glory, for his service, for relationship with him. Being dead to sin. Let's, let's explain this, right? Because again, in verse 11, he's going to exhort us to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let's, let's make sure we understand what being dead to sin means and doesn't mean. Being dead to sin doesn't mean that you can't sin. <laughs> right? I think we all know that, unfortunately. Right? It doesn't mean that you won't ever sin. Furthermore, being dead to sin doesn't mean that you're dead to the enticement of sin. Right? But it does mean that you are no longer a slave to sin. Your old self who was a slave to sin died. 
Now, so now as Christians, we have the, the struggle, right? We have the struggle between are we going to sin or are we going to please God, right? There's this internal struggle going on because we still live in a sinful world with many temptations. And we still have sinful desires that, that remain in us for now until we're raised with glorified bodies. So even though we still have sinful desires, the, the, the blessed truth is that as Christians, those desires no longer rule over us. We are no longer enslaved to those desires because Christ, through his death and resurrection, has defeated sin and death. And so in Christ, we are set free from the ruling power of sin. No wonder 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's like what Romans 6 is saying, right? New life. That we may walk in newness of life. We have new life in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So now, now when we are tempted to sin, which we will be every day. Now when we are tempted to sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say no. We can flee. We can resist that temptation. We can cast off that sinful desire and choose to obey God. Before Christ, we couldn't do that. I mean, before Christ, it was only a matter of time until we were going to give in to the power of sin. But now, sin has been defeated and we are set free. And so we no longer need to serve sin. And you, so do you see how this is Paul's answer to that objection that he was anticipating at the beginning of the chapter? <laughs> right? Well, you're talking about grace and now people, that's just a license to sin. No, no. <laughs> he says, verse 2, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? See, Paul's saying we are new creations. We've been born again. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been set free from sin. So how could we go back to serve a defeated master? Why would we obey sin when it no longer rules over us? Why would we live in rebellion against God when we've been given new hearts that love God? Now again, you, you might be thinking, well, yeah... That sounds good, and I get what you're saying, but man, sin's, sin's pull still seems very strong to me, on me. I feel it every day, sin's pull. Maybe, maybe I've fallen back into slavery to sin, Jathan. And I'm here to say that that is impossible for a Christian to fall back into slavery to sin. Look at verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin, sorry, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. I'm not saying that when I said impossible, I'm not talking about the pull of sin. Yes, that's very possible. That's very real. We experience that. But it's impossible for a Christian to fall back into slavery to sin. And the point Paul's making here in verses 9 and 10 
Well, let me just ask you a question. And that'll, make, that, that'll explain what Paul's saying. Now that Christ has died and rose from the dead, will Christ ever die again? Will the Lord Jesus Christ ever die again? No. No. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. By his resurrection, Christ defeated sin and death once for all. He's risen. He's exalted in a glorified body. He's reigning at the Father's right hand. And he will forever. And so what Paul is saying is just as Christ will never have to submit himself to death again, so we should never place ourselves back under the power of sin. Sin was once our master, but it is never to be that again. It will never have that ruling power over us again. Sin's ruling power is now broken. And as I've heard from preachers before, what's true for the believer is that sin no longer reigns, but it remains. Sin no longer reigns in the life of a believer, but it does remain. And so you say, well, why is sin, what about sin, the pull of sin, why does it seem so strong? And I mean, and, you know, there could be several reasons, and again, um, we live in a fallen world. But let me just throw this out to you. Because um, this is a truth of our sanctification. The more we feed sin, the more we feed our remaining sin, the more we give in to our remaining sin, the stronger it will be in our lives. And the more easily we will give in to temptations. But as we, by God's grace, resist temptations, pursue God, fill our minds with truth, renew our minds, as we do that, the more we can experience victory over sin. The struggle is going to be here the rest of our lives. But we can experience, by God's grace, by his power, we can experience ongoing victory, consistent victory over sin. And I want to remind you of that glorious truth today as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So that's the first heading. Understand the new life you have in Christ. As, as we joyfully proclaim to each other, He is risen. Let us remember the truth of this passage. We are raised with Christ. We have new life because He is risen. The believer is united in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The old self who was ruled by sin is crucified so that the believer is no longer enslaved to sin. Those are all truths. And so, loved ones, please understand the new life you have in Christ. Paul's just been stating truth. He's not commanded us to do anything. Until now. Verse 11. And that's our second heading. Live the new life you have in Christ. So far, not only in this passage, but incredibly in the whole letter up to this point, for five and a half chapters, Paul has not given a single command. 
He's just been explaining gospel truth and, and, and explaining who, who believers are in Christ. But now here in verse 11, for the very first time in the whole letter, he commands us to do something. God commands us to do something through the pen of Paul. So, you also, verse 11, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so that's the first bullet there. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. What does that mean? Well, again, he's stated what is true. What's true is you are dead to sin and alive to God because of your union with Christ. And now consider yourself that. Consider means to acknowledge or act upon something that has already happened. So that's already happened, now act upon it. As a matter of fact, that this word consider is a bookkeeping term. The Greek word is logizomai. Logizomai. And so you can kind of hear the word log in it, right? And so that's, that's where we get that term. When, when, for example, if $100 has been deposited in your checking account, you log it into your ledger to show that you have that $100, right? And that's exactly what he's been saying here. Is this is who you are in Christ, And now act upon it. Log it into your life. Faith in Christ in union with him has changed the reality of who you are. You actually died to sin with Christ. You are in reality, in fact, no longer a slave to sin. You are, praise God, a new creation with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so now consider yourself that way. Live that way. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion, its passions. You see how we're to live out this truth? You've been set free from sin, so don't let it reign over you now. When faced with the temptation to sin, you can, as a Christian, say, no, that's not who I am. To give into this sin right now would would completely contradict who God has made me in Christ. What good news this is, loved ones. I mean, just think about the, the daily struggles we have with sin. When you're tempted to lose your anger, when you're tempted to lust, when you're tempted to be selfish, when you're tempted to worry or fear, when you're tempted to complain or tear others down, remember that Christ has been raised. That he has defeated sin and that you've been raised with Christ. Remember that you are no longer a slave to sin. And as Ephesians 1 says, the same power that raised Christ and exalted him to the highest place, that same power lives in you by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing, isn't it? So consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You're going to face the temptations. And there's going to be something in you that is attracted to those temptations. But you don't need to give in to those temptations. You don't need to give in to that sin. By the Spirit's power, you can choose to obey God and bring glory to Him. Oh, how we need to remember who we are in Christ. Oh, how we need to remember that we've been made alive to God. And that whatever fleeting pleasures that sin 
promises we have God where there'll be lasting pleasure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. Paul wraps this up, this passage up. He gets practical and very specific in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So I sum that up this way in your notes. Use your body to serve God, not sin. Use your body to serve God, not sin. Because you are dead to the power of sin in your life, you should should no longer offer the members of your body as instruments for sin. Rather, offer them as instruments for God to use for His glory. Rather than using your mind to worry or to covet or to lust, use your mind to meditate on God's promises, to memorize and read Scripture, to to bring glory to Him by by having dominion on this earth, right? By by solving problems, by, by making things better, by composing songs, by teaching, by writing, by praying. Use your mind for God. Rather than using your eyes to watch the filth of this world, use your eyes to gaze upon the beauty of creation. Use your eyes to read scripture. Use your eyes to see the hurting and lost people around you. Rather than use your tongue to lie or gossip or slander or complain or curse. Use your tongue instead to sing praises to God, to encourage others, to proclaim the gospel, to speak truth to one another, to pray for God's kingdom to come. Rather than use your hands and feet to hurt others or to get into mischief, now you can use them to serve others, to visit the sick, to come to the gatherings of the church, to serve at Crown Valley. To take the gospel across the street. To take the gospel across the world. I think later, a couple chapters later in Romans 10, Paul will say, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So again, here's just a practical, I don't know what you want to say, point. Sin is selfish. Right? You ever notice how? Right? I mean, that's the very, the DNA of sin is selfishness. And so, loved ones, in those moments of temptation, ask God to to help you. Instead of being selfish, ask God to help you to look out and serve others. Right? Instead of serving myself, instead of gratifying My sinful desires, I shouldn't put quotes in there, I don't know why I did that. Instead of gratifying my sinful desires, 
how can I look out and, and serve God? How can I draw near to God and how can I serve others? How can I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind? How can I love my neighbor as myself? Because, I mean, sometimes we just need to be jolted into that, right? You know, and again, it's, the Spirit will prompt us and empower us to do that. But it's like we just get in this rut and we get down in this kind of downward spiral of selfish, 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 selfish. Gratify, gratify, gratify. No, we need to just slam on the brakes and look, look out from ourselves. So understand the new life you have in Christ and live the new life you have in Christ. Praise God for the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Because Christ has been raised, we are forgiven, and we are raised with him to newness of life. And though in this life we will continually battle our remaining sin, praise God that he's not left us as orphans. Praise God for the indwelling spirit who wars against our sin and leads us down paths of righteousness. So praise God for freedom from sin, for new life in Christ. And may we live out that new life to the glory of God. Let's pray. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise you. Father and Spirit, we praise you for rescuing us dead in our sins, separated from you, headed for eternal damnation, enslaved to a master that was just leading us down that path of eternal destruction, unable to save ourselves, and yet you powerfully and lovingly and graciously saved us. Oh, praise you for your grace. We praise you for your power. Praise you that sin And death have been defeated by our Savior, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for uniting us with him. Thank you for giving us the peace of knowing that our sins are forgiven and for giving us power now. For giving us new life. To live for you and not for sin. Thank you for giving us hearts that desire to live for you. And Lord, we confess our divided heart. We confess how often we toy with sin, how often we like to just kind of gratify those desires, those sinful desires that remain. But by your grace, we want to forsake that. We want to cast that off. Will you help us moment by moment to remember who we are in Christ? Please help us to to count, to consider who we are in Christ, that we're dead to sin and alive to God. That we can bring glory to you. That we, we can be used for your service. That we can enjoy real pleasure, lasting pleasure, without any shame, without any regret that always comes with sin. Lord Jesus, you are a mighty Savior, and we pray that you would continue to save. Continue to save your people day by day, and continue to to save those who are lost. Break the chains of sin on them, and, and 
be pleased to use us, Lord, to bring that, that message of hope, that message of deliverance to them through the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and continue to praise our Lord and Savior.